Welcome to the Pinch Hitters. When it came time to interplay against the big boys, they just didn't have the, the firepower to sort of really compete. So I think, yeah, I think they're probably in that yeah, 9 to 14 area. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I must confess, I'm really prepared too much for this, but um, I'd say a hot to fly, but not as high. Your weekly dose of sporting news and views, hard and fast. Hello and welcome to the Pinch Eaters Podcast. It's Bozzy here and we have a big show for you this time. It is our World Cup preview episode. It's hard to believe that we are sitting on the verge of the 2019 ICC World Cup in England and Wales. It really doesn't feel that long ago that Warney was asking pretty much everybody in the Australian team how thirsty they were after after the victory at home by the Australians over New Zealand. I have very vivid memories of that day. I'm not sure I've actually heard a louder crowd noise than when Brendan McCullum was knocked over early in the early in the New Zealand innings by Mitchell Stark. It was a, it was an amazing day, a record crowd at the MCG, and we now sit ready for it all to happen once again. This time around Australia not quite as obvious, you know, chance. Not quite the short price favourites they were in 2015. Um, with England, the hosts looking ominous after pretty much dominating the short form of the game in the the years after their embarrassing exit from the 2015 World Cup at the hands of Bangladesh. It will be an interesting tournament with... Pretty much any of the any of six or seven teams could win the tournament. It's 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 unbelievable. You go through the list and and each team has has their claims, I guess, except for possibly Sri Lanka, who who are playing about as badly as any team has played in recent memory. Um, Afghanistan and Bangladesh probably on the next tier down, but um, the rest of the teams, if not genuine, have punches, chances of of taking out the the trophy uh, on their day. It will be interesting to see the tournament once again in the the group stage format. We haven't seen this since the 92 World Cup in Australia. It'll be be good to see the teams um, up against each other. It'll It'll give the likes of Afghanistan a chance to really sort of test their medal against the top sides. It is disappointing to to see that the competition has, has compacted um, from recent years and the likes of Ireland and Scotland and some of these other sides that have that have brought some wonderful stories to the World Cups aren't going to be there this time around. I'll take this opportunity to plug our our online coverage of the tournament. Adrian Meredith has has done a, a bucket load of work previewing the tournament. Um, we have pieces on each side in the lead up to the competition. His, his pieces on each of the warm-up games has been something really special. 
We have a few opinion pieces up there too, so please be sure to check out www.pinchhittersoz.com.au to to get your fix of World Cup cricket. While we've got you and you're listening and you like what you hear, please be sure to, to give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us really helps us get our message out to as many people as possible. And if you like it, please be sure to to, to give us a like or a good rating so that um, the different podcast people can put us up the rankings a little bit more. We'd love to hear what you think too. So please join the conversation online at Pinch It Is Oz on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Joining me shortly will be Dan from the Sportress to go through to go through what we think is going to happen in the the weeks ahead at the World Cup. So strap yourself in, make yourself comfortable as we go and look at ICC World Cup 2019. Pinch hitters, knee jerk reaction. Joining me for knee jerk reaction, as promised, Dan from the Sportress, www.sportress.wordpress.com. It's like a fortress for sport. Dan, how are you? Buzz, I am good and just ecstatic to hopefully at least mentally get out of the cold of uh, the Australian winter for the less the cold, cold of the, of the, English, the summer. English summer. That's right. <laughs> Um, I was just I was just talking to to people before or sorry in my introduction before I was just talking about the fact that it, it feels only like yesterday that um, Warney was asking anybody that would listen with if they were, if they were thirsty, thirsty after after oh, the World Cup that. win four years ago it doesn't really feel like four years ago but uh, yeah who, how could you forget are you thirsty like well, a, I- a 15 year old at the wrong party. Yeah, that's right. I can forget it because I was at the ground and so I only heard yeah. about it. Um, wasn't really paying attention. I don't know if, if um, Warney was on the official uh, things or just a Channel 9, but I was, very much wasn't paying attention to anything um, about the presentation other than waiting for them to hold up the actual cup. Um, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't call that the best moment in TV commentary. No, and the the other the other moment that sort of sticks out in my brain because I was also at the at the game, um, the noise when Brendan McCullum got out. Um, I'm not sure I've actually heard a sporting crowd louder than that. I couldn't agree more. That was incredible. That was incredible. That's like one of those moments, right? And it, it it's for yeah, you're one for none. It's not the end of the world, but it sort of felt so significant that McCullum that Stark had got McCullum of all people. Um, even though McCullum had been in, you know, in good form, but not like, um, uh, uh, seen stealing form through that World Cup, um, but he just felt like this sort of avatar for all of New Zealand's hopes and dreams in that game. Yeah, and it, it did. It, it, <coughs> it felt like Australia won the World Cup, and in mm. and the memory, in hindsight, makes it feel like that was the story that basically that um, McCullum got out and the game was over but that's not actually how it went down it was a it was a it was an interesting um, interesting chase 
Right, and it feels like people forget that Jimmy Faulkner played an incredibly big role with the ball in that game specifically, uh, and that Glenn Maxwell's wickets, uh, wicket um, also was really important. Um, it was it was a game where that New Zealand brought itself back into in on several occasions. Like I think at one stage they're roughly off the top of my head three or four for about one hundred and fifty sixty, and it looks like they might be thinking about. 260, 270 and a really difficult chase under pressure for the Australians and Jimmy Faulkner just got a couple of wickets, I think you got Grant Elliott with the slow ball caught behind yeah, that was, and that was, that was the wicket that really turned it again mm. it was a, an interesting game and, and also the, the the other sort of moment of that World Cup was England getting knocked out by Bangladesh and mm. in hindsight that might also have been the moment that that produced the the most destructive one-day team in the history of the game. Oh, completely. But you could sort of tell they had all these people around the game, all the guys that are in the side now, Josh Bartlett, Johnny Bairstow, uh, Jason Roy, they're not exactly like 100% new, you know what I mean? They were there the whole time. England just had this... You know, they often say <coughs> in politics, you know, don't try and win the last election... Um, the, the 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 England team was set up to win the 2011 World Cup um, and you know the game had moved on and it's what makes it so exciting at this World Cup that they are you know they're the Sri Lanka of 96 of this World Cup they've they've revolutionized how you bat and that willingness to just go hell for leather for 50 overs and really push uh, what is considered a normal score. It's really exciting for me. It is. It's well, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't work out too well for them. But um, <laughs> they they have really turned the game on on its head in a good way. Unlike the the one hundred or whatever they're calling that they're they're starting over there at the moment. But, is that um, still going? It's about to start, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So no. That's, I'm on the ball with that. Why would you want to be? I yeah I'm really confused as to what's like don't get me wrong um, uh, if there's a good reason for this and if that's what the people want but you, I don't understand how you can have T20 cricket and the 100 cricket um, I, I do I do have to put my hand up and say that I'm on the wrong side of history I thought that T20 wouldn't work so I'm on the wrong side of history there but I, I really find it hard to believe that we need another you know, 20 balls less, a different over than how that's going to... Like, I think there's ways, like, given the fact that the whole purpose is to to speed up the game to to fit within different time frames for television, I'm sure there's ways you could have done that with a standard 20-over game, potentially just, you know, bowl from one end of the ground. Like, there's, there's ways you could have done it with without the seeming, in my mind, stupid sort of solutions to have gotten there. I completely agree, and the, I mean the thing that you got to remember is one of the the it's actually you don't want to shorten the game that much because the three hours and a bit that a T twenty takes with the regular advert is actually something that would draw a lot of ad advertising to it because it's consistent advertising ad uh, people it's easy to place the ads um, and it's a long period of time that people are engaged with with the show like it, it is it's actually a good length in terms of what it would attract an advertiser shortening that 
um, I guess is about um, keeping people interested and engaged and attending cricket. But as you say, shortening it by 20 balls just seems a bit random. Yeah. So that's what they've done. And we've gone off tangent. <laughs> Already. <laughs> Knee-jerk reaction. Let's look at some of the interesting topics that have reared their head in the lead-up to this World Cup. The return of Steve Smith and David Warner brought with it the response everyone was expecting in their warm-up game against England. But Michael Vaughan tweeted, Come on, England cricket fans. We are better than booing Smith and Warner all summer. Just saying. Are England fans really better than booing Smith and Warner all summer, Dan? Oh, so I remember when England came out here for the Ashes. Uh, you remember uh, Usman Khawaja at Melbourne had a catch that um, the English fans didn't think was a catch. The third umpire ruled it as a catch. And then the rest of the the um, Melbourne test, they booed him. And at the time, I was like, cranky about them booing, them, booing him. Uh, but in retrospect... I mean, I sort of have, I think, become pretty agnostic about booing. Um, as long as it's... It's going to sound strange. In the right spirit, I don't mind them booing Smith and Warner. And it was really funny watching Smith bat in that England game when he got uh, to the ton. Uh, there was more boos than clapping. And the commentators just loved, uh, loved it. They said, there's a smattering of boos out there. And I'm like, that's all I could hear. <laughs> Um, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of that's kind of where I, I and look, you know, and, and I I jump on the different sides of the fence of the yeah the spirit of cricket. But I think people scoring hundreds and fifties and, and and the like are moments to applaud. Like you've got you've got plenty of other time to boo the person. I think that's the yeah. You that's 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 probably fair enough. I mean, like for me, there's a re- there's 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 obviously been circumstances in Australia and sports history where booing uh, has had uh, has been tinged with with bigotry, and yeah, that's not okay at all. In these circumstances, these circumstances seems to be um, more with anger or frustration, which I'm less concerned about. But I take your point that, you know, there's moments to celebrate and we should probably try and embrace that a bit more. Yeah, and I think the answer to the question of are England better than that is that they're not. Anybody that's seen the Barmy Army, they're not. They they will boo Smith and Warner all summer and, and good on them if that's what they want to do. But and That's right, and, and Smith and Warner will hear worse things from the Barmy Army than booing. In fact, I suspect if they're really, really worried about booing, after about six weeks in England, they'll be wishing that they just got booing and that was it well, I think there's I think there's a, an old saying that um, that at the end of the day it's a it's a sign of it is kind of a sign of um, it's a positive sign because you don't spend too much time booing no hope as you only really boo people that are that are pretty good at the game so as long as they're booing them um, Smith and Warner have, are going about their business pretty well I would have thought absolutely in the same game, there was an interesting moment where well, the, the moment that brought it then to Steve Smith's innings, actually, whereby, confusingly, Tom Curran appealed for a court and bold. Steve Smith started making his way to the pavilion, 
saw the replay, which clearly showed that it had bounced on the way to the bowler, then started making his way back, and then was given out by the third umpire. <laughs> what on earth do we have the third umpire for if we keep having decisions like this turn up? No, I think it's... Um, one of the things that we always learn about the technology across sports that use it is that people are still fallible in all this. And I think that was a mistake. Luckily, it was a mistake that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It was its trial match. Uh, it was the end of things. And, you know, Smith may have... I think it was, like, the third last ball, right? Like, so Smith may have like, scored, yeah. like, um, another, let's say, even at the very most, 18 runs, which have, would have made no difference in the outcome, really. Um, so, as far as errors go, it was definitely one. But, you know, low cost, I guess we call it. But I guess, and just to labour the point though, is how do you, how in situations like this, how can you look at that and come up with a with the decision that defies logic? How do you find doubt in that? Um, is the person you know? And you're right. The fact of the matter is, is that the weakest link in all technological you know, technology based review systems is the person sitting at the, in the chair, um, but. Clearly, that's the wrong person in the chair. Well, funny enough, I'm just watching the Fox Fox Sports now, and they're, they're showing the the last stage of the 2007 World Cup final, um, which is uh-huh. also another one of those situations where absolute um, shambles, where officialdom can just get it completely wrong. But mm. um, but yeah, how I just I just don't get it. I just don't know how you can look at that. And clearly, he's he's um, given the benefit of the doubt to the original decision. The soft decision was out. Yeah. Um, but how you could find out that is is beyond me, actually. Uh, look, it was it was it was it was a fascinating um, a fascinating little period, and it was really interesting to see Steve Smith get interviewed afterwards when they asked him in the press conference, "What did you think about it?" And he actually said, "I don't remember how I got out," which I think sort of speaks to Steve Smith's mind while he's batting. He's just so in the zone, and he'd been so uh, in depth of concentration at that that he just like that was irrelevant. You know, it just the 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 ramification for him there was that he had to stop batting. It wasn't that he got out, if that makes sense. Could I be a little cynical and suggest that it's a it's it's a it's a ploy in the sense that he's going to be booed all summer for for nominally being a cheat, that he doesn't want to get into any kind of controversy about anything else. Look, that's that's probably fair. Um, I don't think that's entirely cynical. I think that's just smart pres- self-preservation on his behalf. He's, you know, cynical, cynical by me. Yeah, well, you don't want to be fighting battles on multiple fronts, I guess. Like, you're going to spend the whole time... You want to keep your press conferences as short as you possibly can, so... In a um, game that doesn't count for anything, getting caught up in a, in a conversation about umpires is probably... Yeah. and I way. think probably a bit of Steve recognising that um, because of what happened last year, uh, he doesn't have the capacity to express a view on right and wrong. Like it comes with loaded when he says stuff, so he has to be really careful about weighing in on anything that's considered a discussion about spirit of cricket or or right and wrong and appropriate behaviour and all those sorts of things that come into that. Uh, Bailiwick. Yeah, I, I I think we can I think we can safely say that we will not be hearing Steve Smith making any kind of outlandish statement beyond um, you know, a cliche type 
um, answers to questions throughout this tournament and the and the ashes that follow. Mm. Adam Gilchrist made a, an interesting um, claim on Fox Sports over the last few weeks. Firstly, in his opinion that a side will pass the 500 run total in this tournament, but perhaps more surprising was the fact that he believes Australia is a good a chance as anyone to be that side. Are we going to see the 500 mark pass in this tournament, Dan? I don't think so. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see 400 passed on a more regular basis. So in the past, 400 was you know effectively incredible. I think what's going to happen is in this World Cup, it's going to be not regular, but semi-regular, if that makes sense. Um, and so we're going to see that a lot. That doesn't mean someone won't, but I just think what will happen is you'll get lots of similar to what we saw West Indies do to New Zealand last night, where you get a comfortable 421, uh, but no one cracks a 500, I think is my feeling. Could we possibly see the opposite? I think there is a, a captain of one of the teams that has that has, is gone on the record suggesting that you're going to see sides defend 250. Uh, that was uh, Coley said that. Yeah. <clears throat> Could we see the opposite with, with sides going... Um, well, you, you see the likes of Australia and India still playing um, the sheet anchor type role yeah. um, and sort of basically sort of playing as it comes as opposed to the English approach of... of, of Blast them out. Basically having 11 batsmen. Like, they, they bat down to 10. Yeah. Um, could, we, could we see the opposite that we're expecting big scores consistently that in fact we're actually going to get a more kind of um, bowler dominated fielding um, tactical type tournament well it's interesting right because you think about it you think about the 1999 world cup and it wasn't a high scoring world cup um it, uh, from memory uh, i think australia only cracked 300 twice in that tournament one of them may have been against scotland or zimbabwe or someone like that um or namibia maybe I feel like that was that World Cup. Against Namibia, would we? I think the Namibia was 2003, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, 2003. Anyway, I don't think 1999 was a particularly high-scoring World Cup, um, but I will note something that Patrick Cummins said today, which is that because... Well, he didn't say because, but because they're using the kookaburra ball, there's... Uh, and uh, just because of the pitches, the way English one-day pitches are now made in general, he's expecting less swing and less yeah. movement, basically. Um, which sort of puts me at either end of that, sort of sitting on the fence. I could definitely see that, though. I think what happens now in that scenario that Cole is outlining is that once... Once upon a time, 270, let's say, was considered um, a a very, very good total that you would defend most times. I think now, 270, in most circumstances, depending on the pitch, obviously, is a total that you can defend, but you have to be attacking and doing it. So that's changed, whereas it was you could contain a team and keep them under 270. Now you have to bowl them out for under 270, which remains possible. Um, it's entirely possible to do that. And I think that's how, that's the best manner uh, to do it. So I think... It's sort of a battle between aggressiveness, if that makes sense. Like, you've got these ultra-aggressive batsmen. If you stay aggressive and take wickets as bowler, as a bowling unit, um, you can really defend low totals. 
I mean, we saw England um, in West Indies get rolled for about 113 or something. That's just because they just kept going. They kept going. They kept trying to score quickly. Um, and sometimes it just doesn't come off, you know? So it's a law of averages. Yeah. It's um, like they, they play it um, by, by having the, the, the number of batsmen in the team and batting so low. Obviously, the, the odds are in their favour. But yeah, the, if, you, if you take enough risks and continue to take risks and... and and refuse to um, to back down from that sort of approach. You are you are bound to to, to get out. You see that in T Twenty a lot too, um, mm. where whereby sides get skittled for for you know seventy or eighty. Um, so it, it's it's just as likely, especially when you consider that, that England are trying to go at that eight to nine runs and over for for fifty overs, which is just unbelievable. Like. I still, my memory of, of, of Sri Lanka when they, they sort of turned the the game around in the early, you know, the mid-90s there mm. um, and just sort of seeing them score at, you know, seven or eight for the first, you know, 10 or 15 overs was, it's, I can still um, remember how unbelievable that that seemed at the time. So the idea that, you know, that England scored 481 last year against Australia is it just doesn't compute it just doesn't no it's so strange and like you're entirely right that 96 World Cup with the change that happened around that and that I think sometimes people forget that change actually happened in what I think was still called the World Series then right but it was a tri series in Australia um, where uh, Kalu and Jaisaria basically decided to, to start that uh, approach there and were probably more successful in the Tri-Series than they were in the World Cup. Like, uh, Kalu, I think, for the World Cup only made like 60 or 70 runs across that World Cup. But what was important was it completely changed how people thought. And I, I remember Mark Taylor hitting a four early where he basically lofted it off his back foot um, back over mid-on's head and the commentators being absolutely just like, Sure, this was a response to the Sri Lanka, the way the Sri Lankans were playing, and so it was changing it in real time. And it's really interesting to see um, if you know you're going to get a similar thing happen here. That teams are going to get faced with England and to a lesser extent the West Indies, and go, we actually have to change how we bat at the World Cup. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because it it does if you look at. Um, and we'll get into our predictions a little bit later on about the, the sides that are most likely to challenge um, England at the tournament. But um, without giving too much away, like you, the likes of India and and Australia and New Zealand and South Africa, whilst they do have like firepower in their batting, like it seems to be more um, they do their work a little bit more with their bowling. Um, Definitely. So, like Australia, would would be backing that their bowlers to to skittle the opponent rather than um, rather than scoring five hundred to win the match. I would have thought, which is so. It's sort of it is an interesting type of situation where whereby I think in response, and you look at like India with with the likes of um, MS Dhoni um, in the middle of the, the middle of the innings, sort of doing his best Michael Bevan impersonation and. Instead of just yeah. always managing to time the Indian chase 
um, to perfection. It's mm. it's it's almost like the other sides are going at it in a different manner to England. <coughs> Mark Taylor seems to be of a different opinion than most commentators in that he believes that Australia will attack the World Cup with an opening partnership of Aaron Fitch and David Warner, meaning that our best-performed batsman in the one-day form in 2019, Usman Khawaja, will be squeezed out of the team. Usman Khawaja can't possibly be squeezed out of the Australian one-day team. Can he, Dan? I, I can see it happening too. I, look, let's have a, a, a description of what we'd like to see versus what we think we'll see. I'm firmly in the latter camp here. So what I think will happen, I don't necessarily agree with this, is that Australia will open with Warner and, and um, Finch. Um, and they'll uh, either... The, the, the basically, that Usman and Sean Marsh are basically playing that number three batting spot. And I think they're going to give it to Sean Marsh in recognition that um, he's more likely to come to the crease facing spin um, and he's better starting against spin than Usman is. Um, Usman's actually relatively like a, a, a slow starter in general. Um, even as an opener, it's, it's not as um, pronounced as an opener, but he's basically, he's, the run scored off of his first 20 balls, and this is called, according to Crickviz, he's basically the, the slowest of any batsman. So coming in in the middle order, um, with the, you got to keep in mind that it's likely Marcus Stoinis will be joining him, who's also a really slow starter. I think that essentially what they'll do is they'll go, Usman, um, is too much of a risk to come in at any point in the middle order um, to uh, because of that, because of Stoinis and because of his slow start, particularly against spin. And I think they'll look at Smith and Finch, sorry, Warner and Finch, and want to keep them opening together because I think obviously Warner is probably one of the best one-day bats in the world, regardless um, of his time off recently. Um, and I think Finch is the captain. I don't think anyone's going to move him. So your boy Usman, out of the team. I know, it's, it's gutting. It reminds me of, the, was it the 2015, 2016, whichever, when the T20 World Cup was, um, and we had Finch, Warner, Uzi in like the form of his life, and Shane Watson, and basically went into that tournament with four openers, obviously only two spots, couldn't work out what to do the whole tournament with how we fit those four batsmen in the same lineup, and obviously we didn't do too well. And Glenn Maxwell coming in at eight, it was. And yeah, Glenn Maxwell coming in at it eight. It was an embarrassment of riches, and they got it wrong. And they, they just, the yeah, we, we'll, whilst jumping away from the, I can't, I just can't fathom how badly we go about picking our T Twenty side. We've got, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go into it again. <laughs> <laughs> we have unlimited time, Buzz. You can talk for as long as you want. <laughs> so. Now it's time to talk through our predictions. That's what that's what the people want to hear, Dan. They're desperate to hear how wrong I am. Desperate to hear how wrong we both are. That's uh, right. To laugh at us, point figures. Dan, 
2019 World Cup, who are you picking to be the leading run scorer? So, um, I've picked Joss Butler. Um, I think, you know, anyone that's watched uh, the Big Bash in Australia can, knows how Joss Butler can hit. And in that English lineup, he has a real opportunity to just basically... He has free reign. He basically plays like it's a T20. And he has all the time in the world. I, 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 he's a high-variance batsman for me. Like, it'll either come off or it won't. But if it does, I can see him having quite the tournament. Yeah, no, he he is definitely one of the, the game breakers um, at this tournament. Another one, maybe not in the same sort of form as as Joss Butler. I've I've gone for Robert Sharma to be the leading run scorer at the World Cup. Kind of like that can sort of achieve that with with two innings. Mm. Um, he is. With with the the batting lineup that India has, he's got a, a you know a license to 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 go hard. Um, we've seen him put on some really big scores in one day international cricket, and it it wouldn't surprise with India like that to go well that um, that he he'll be a big reason behind that and <coughs> finish with more runs than anybody else in the tournament. Yeah, that's that, I think that's a really good pick too. Like that, he's in my mind different style, but similar to Butler in the in that if he gets a score, he goes very very big, as Australia is acutely aware. Um, and obviously, we both there's a host of others that we've all left out there. Um, but Coley uh, being the uh, most obvious one of those, he has uh, the most runs, I think, in one day cricket since the last World Cup it's it I I didn't want to go the obvious option Coley mm. Coley is, is is a machine um, if you want to see a wider range of answers um, www.pinchitters.oz.com.au our, our crystal ball is on there and, and a few more of our team have made their calls as well and you'll see a few a wider range of options there is there is a person that's that's plumped for Virat Kohli, so it's um, it's not all wide-reaching sort of options. But um, I can't see it sort of being a, a person that we sort of don't know about. I don't think that you'll see... Um... <coughs> but you, know, you never know. I, but I think I think we'll, we'll, it'll be coming out of, you know, a top-order bat. So it's, it's more likely to be an opener, obviously a, a Joss Butler-type type players, a different kettle of fish, but... Um, yeah, it's um, cause like you know the the MS Dhoni type option. Depending on how India go, there's there's plenty of options, um, but we'll leave it to others to decide who they think. Mm. Leading wicket taker, Dan. So I had Boomer, and I, I think this is heavily influenced by just being absolutely gobsmacked by his performance last summer um, against Australia. He didn't really. He wasn't that effective, actually, in the one day as Australia played in India, which was interesting. He sort of... Um, it looked like Australia had his measure there. Um, he was just sick of taking Australian wickets by that stage. Yeah, I think that may have been it. Um, but he, he's played well in England before. I think he's uh, as good as he's going to be. He's going to face a bunch of teams who are just have their minds blown by his action and the pace that he bowls with. Uh, let alone all the other things that he does that's incredible. Um, and I think he's going to skittle a bunch of teams, particularly, like, he's going to take some six and seven-wicket uh, hauls against some of the minnows. 
Um, oh, not some of the, you know what I mean by minnows, the 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 lesser four. Yeah. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it'll be him. One of the one of those minnows might be Sri Lanka. Yeah, that's um, right. But um, seven foot. There's only there's only two guys have taken World Cup seven foot. Dan, you're, you're predicting something there. What is that? Brett Lee and Andy Bickle. That's uh, Glenn McGrath and Andy. Bickle. All right. Did yeah. Brett Lee take a seven foot? Oh, and he not get seven against New Zealand in 03. Maybe he only got five. I just remember him taking a bunch of wickets in that game. Just skittling people. Um, but yeah, so Jasper, Jasper Boomerah, seven foot. That'd be good. It'd be interesting. Hopefully it's not against Australia. It. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully it's against not Australia. He'll have to... He'll have to um, it's not beyond him. Um, the, the record, I think, seven for 15 in a World Cup match. So he'd have to do quite well to, to beat that. But it's not beyond him. Talking about players that have gone close to World Cup 7 my pick for most wickets, maybe it's parochialism, um, is Mitchell Stark. I think um, he hasn't necessarily necessarily shown that he that he's primed for it, but he, he just has... Um, he's just a wicket-taker. Um, I think Australia... I think the conditions will suit him. I think he's going to move the ball around a lot, I think... Um, he's always dangerous even even when he's not bowling while he's taking wickets I think he will he'll go a long way to, to deciding how far Australia goes in the tournament I think you're entirely right I think um, uh, if Mitchell Stark and you know this, he may as well change his name to you know Mitchell if he gets it right Stark at this point but if he gets it right like he did in 2015 he can completely change the trajectory of the Australian team Um uh, I'd be really excited uh, if he starts bowling at his best. But as you say, even 85% of his best is still really freaking good, and he takes a bunch of wickets doing that. So I think that's a great pick. And no offence to the player I've declared the best player in the world, Pat Cummins. Who have you got making the semi-finals, Dan? So for me in the semi-finals, I've got obviously um, England, India, South Africa, and New Zealand. Um, for me, the like the, the the way this tournament is made up is basically you want to pick the people who you think are gonna um, perform the best over the longest time. So I'm I'm I know that um, other people would want the West Indies in there. I see them as being so high variance that you can't trust them game to game they'll you know I sort of feel like they'll beat a top four you know one of the semi-finalists will have been beaten by the West Indies during the can tournament I, can I give you a stat on the West Indies yeah they, go they have not won a one day series since before the last World Cup that does seem like a problem um that would be an issue but um and that's why I've not got the not necessarily I didn't know that but that's you know they've not uh, they've not performed in a consistent way, even though they have these memorable games like last night's um, uh, innings against New Zealand, or like their efforts in the the T Twenty World Cup and that sort of stuff. They have these moments where you go, "Oh, the West Indies are really good," but they're actually not on a consistent basis. And similarly, that's why I left Australia out of of my four, which was basically Australia up until recently. Obviously, they've performed better in the last sort of. 
I guess you'd say three months, uh, depending on, you know, let's say their last little bit of cricket. Um, but before that, I think their win percentage in the last 12 months leading up to the World Cup is 48% of their games. Um, in, basi- in, in every time they've won uh, a World Cup, they've basically um, won more than 65% of their games leading up to the tournament. Um, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head the, the actual... Um, um, last. So they haven't actually gone into a World Cup with a winning percentage this low ever. Well, I don't think they like, had a winning percentage this low ever. Yeah, they dropped to was it sixth in the one day rankings? I don't think they are there now. But like they they dropped to their lowest ever ranking. Um, they were they were putrid for much of twenty eighteen. Um, so you've gone England. India, New Zealand, and South Africa. Yeah, and so New Zealand, uh, for me, is, I think, Trent Bolt is another one, like Boomer, who's going to have a big World Cup. Um, and I think Kane Williamson will too, and that will drag uh, New Zealand. And New Zealand tend to, like, you sort of look down the list and go, oh, there's, you know, Kane Williamson's great, and Trent Bolt's great, but there's, you know, do I really, am I really that excited about all these other people? But they always outperform their list, essentially. Um, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the last four. Um, and South Africa, they have to make the semi-final. Like that's the rules. South Africa makes the semi-final, um, and then from what happens there, well, we'll see, I guess. Unless it's the Commonwealth Games. The Commonwealth Games. That's they, right. Yeah. They then win win the whole thing. So I am very similar to you. I have the Black Caps making it. They're in. Um, sensational form um, in in both red ball and white ball cricket um, mm. they come into the tournament I think they're the fourth ranked side in um, ODIs I think they've like they've won a string of series in a row I think they're on a, a four or five game winning streak coming into the, the World Cup obviously not counting the, the World Cup um, warm up games because they they don't actually don't count, count those games well, and also that's, you know, if I can sort of add to the argument for them, getting um, that 400 put on them by the West Indies actually probably go, allows them to have that little bit of pressure that might have been building on them because they've performed so well. So just dissipate a little bit and they can just do that New Zealand thing of go about their business and end up in the semifinals anyway. Uh, India, I've got India in the, in the semifinals. I think up until... They so basically was it? It's, it's a, a couple of months ago. They were two 0 up against Australia. They'd lost just one series out of the eleven before it, and that was against England. Um, at that point in time, you probably would have been um, forgiven for thinking that they had a right to be considered favourites for the tournament. Um, losing three in a row to lose that series though has a little bit of a question mark on them for mine. Um, so I think they're the they're the um, they're not a certainty to make the semi-finals. I think I think they will. I think they're a real genuine chance, but they're not they're not coming to the tournament in the the form that they were were coming into it a few months earlier. England England will definitely make the semi-finals, barring barring some Australia nineteen ninety two type um, choking. Um, mm. They they are the world's number one team. They have scored. Um, they've scored was it two of the top eight high scores in the history of the game in the last 18 months they've scored yeah. 
the top two scores in the history of the game in the last three years. Um, they are arguably the the most dominant one day side in the history of the game in a in a particular period of time. Obviously, that you know the Australian team that won three World Cups in a row would have an argument on that, but um, they I don't believe they were this dominant in a particular moment as the, this this England side is. Um, they will take a lot of beating. Um, they'll take a lot of beating for them not to to win the World Cup. Where I do differ from you, though, Dan, is I I have the South Africans missing the tournament. <coughs> I have Australia there. Um, I think I think they've just timed their run perfectly. Um, it, it, a few months ago, I would have been. Um, Half-heartedly saying Australia is going to make the semi-finals just out of pure patriotism, but I think I think the Australian team um, enters the tournament um, as one of the the informed teams. Um, they've won their last eight one-day internationals. Um, they again beat England. I shouldn't say again. They did beat England in a you know a, in a one-day warm-up game. Um, their form is as good as any coming into the tournament. I think they'll make the semi-finals and. And we'll take a lot of beating. History has shown that you know, in, you, you don't really want to back against Australia in, in knockout games. I'll pay that. I have two questions for you that you can that will really swing my view on this. Uh, is Glenn Maxwell going to play every game for Australia? Yes. That would make me feel really good. I'm just terrified that somehow they're going to not have him in the eleven. Usman, um, uh, Maxwell out. Uh, <laughs> If like to me, there's there's certain people that have to be there uh, for Australia. It's Warner, Smith, Maxwell, obviously Kerry because he has to be there literally. Um, Stark and Cummins, and then the two spins. I think that's actually how we've got to play, and we can really, really, really um, uh, have a good crack then. What worries me is more what happens around that. Um, you know, is Stoinis going to be able to do the job with both bat and ball? Um, I think probably, um, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, is Finch going to have uh, a uh, a World Cup akin to his summer last year? Um, that worries me. Um, and then what's Australia going to do with the batting lineup? And will they actually try and score runs? Like, they still bat in this really, really way of um, of not never really pushing the pace. Um, and it's so stark now when you consider it next to England um, that it genuinely worries me that they don't have enough runs in them. And not even that they don't have enough runs in them. That They're leaving a lot of runs. Yeah. Yeah, look, and, that, and that's the thing is, is it... Um... We, we we've talked about this on previous podcasts where where it just seemed to be that Australia um, was of the view that um, three hundred was more than enough as as the world thought you know five years ago and yeah. uh, and the game sort of moved along but it um, it's not like with Australia with Australia's form turning around um, it's not it's not from them um, all of a sudden putting on scores of 360, 370, they're still sort of um, building around one player um, 
scoring a big score. I mean, that's their their, their optimal mm. game is that one player um, gets in, stays in, uh, builds a score, and, and lays a platform for the the big hitters to come in at the end. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it seems it seems. It, it's difficult to sort of see that stacking up against the the likes of a of an England scoring four hundred eighty, but it, I think the the like we discussed earlier, I think it comes down to the fact that Australia for Australia to win, their bowlers have to fire, um, and and you do have like in Cummins and Stark, you've it, I think it's fair to say that that's probably the best one two punch out of any pace bowling quartet in the world. Um, presuming Dale Steyn never gets properly fit uh, for South Africa. Yeah, and and, that, and that's and that's what it comes down to. If Australia's if Australia's bowlers fire, it gives them a chance, and and they've got options with the ball, um, and they, they do have they have genuine match winners with the bat. But again, if, if England if England scores, um, if England scores at the the rate that they've been scoring, no one comes close to them. Yeah. Which brings us to the the next question: Who who wins the World Cup, Dan? Well, I um, chose England, uh, unsurprisingly. As if you've li- listened to the last however long we've been on this, um, I'm. I think the thing is right. Like the to get to the semi final requires consistency over a, a three or four week period, four or five week period. Then at semi final point, it very much becomes anything can happen. Um, England have a very high ceiling, right? Compared to the other semi-final, likely semi-finalists, you sort of feel like if India, sorry, if England gives their best performance, they'll win. Obviously, so that's how I ended up there. I was like, on their best day, there's no one that can touch them. Yeah, differently to my 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 decision with regards to the the leading run score, I wanted to sort of go a little bit out there. I think it, England have been the best performed side for the last four years. Um, Picking differently to that is is just to be contrary. They 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 play their best. They win the World Cup. It's as simple yeah, as that. I think you're right. Another question for Australian fans. I think this probably plays a part in in how far Australia actually goes or not. Fire or flop? Will Smith and Warner, in their return from their um, sandpaper suspensions, fire or flop? Smith. Will Steve Smith fire or flop at the World Cup? So I think um, when you initially asked me this, I said Smith would flop and Warner would fire. And that was based on um, Warner just tearing the IPL to shreds and Smith still, you know, not, he didn't have a bad IPL, but he just still had a bit of elbow soreness. Um, and I just had this feeling like the World Cup was less of an importance for him. Um, having watched him bat... Uh, the other night he looks locked in right like he looks mentally wanting to score a lot of runs and he actually said that I think after again in the press conference he actually said I just really 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 want to score a lot of runs and that feels like I should change that I think he's going to be fine and similarly Warner that doesn't change how I feel about Warner I think Warner's going to score a lot of runs Um, I think yeah I think they'll both be fine yeah I agree I've I've got I had them I had them both firing. I think Steve Smith is is in the in the and granted, of course, we haven't seen a lot of him for obviously for the last twelve months. But mm. prior to that, he was in the best vein of form. Um, 
I've seen, I would have thought, in, in, in my lifetime of watching cricket, so much so that it, it had me sort of questioning whether whether I needed to sort of consider him in the same breath as, as Ricky Ponting, who, who, in my mind, is the best batsman I've seen. Um, mm. That's how good he was prior to that. Um, it's hard to see someone just completely losing that, um, given the fact that it wasn't injury, it wasn't... Um, anything like that it, it was just it was just a case of of whether he'd be mentally strong enough to sort of come back in and you'd sort of think that that um, given time in the middle that he would would rediscover at least some of that form which would be a dream kind of level of form for most of us to have and and David Warner um, similarly is is just that um, angry little man and, and and we've seen in the past he seems to perform at his best when he's the antagonist or whether, you know, that he's, he's in the fight. If you remember um, the series in South Africa about um, five or six years ago where um, where Australia regained the number one test ranking and, and, and he was sort of almost like in a, a verbal stoush with the media after every match or, you know, he just seems to thrive when when he's the, the bad guy and, and I don't think he's ever sort of been a bigger villain than he is right now even considering the you know the the walkabout incident with Joe Root um, six years ago I don't think I don't think he's anywhere near as a bigger villain as he would be considered and treated in England as he is right now oh, I think you're probably right um, I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes with that um, if he's like I think it's just interesting from a, a personal perspective of what how he interacts with that. Um, but on the cricket pitch, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think that'll be his his um, home away from home, I guess. And I think it, and look, you know, and, and some people might see this as sacrilege, but I think he's almost Steve Warisk in that regard. Where I think he you get him into the fight and he performs his best. I think, and I think that's like he he's just been thrust into a fight this time around, and he, he I think that's. I think that's where he thrives. Yeah, I think you're right. So with that, we now sit asleep away from the World Cup starting. Thanks, Dan, for joining us. Um, www.sportress.wordpress.com. What will people find there um, on your site? You know what they won't find, Buzz? They won't find me panicking about the Raiders uh, having lost four in their last five and their last three games. Um, they've got an absolutely huge game that we've got a preview up for this weekend against the cellar-dwelling Bulldogs, um, who are last and will finish with the wooden spoon this year. It won't be close. Uh, but the Raiders will be missing seven of their first string 13, which is just incredible for the Raiders. Three of them are in origin. One is probably their best player in Josh Hodgson, um, and there's three others that are injured who are basically the entire right edge um, in uh, Jordan Rapana, BJ Leilua and John Bateman um, so it's an incredibly huge game uh, this weekend, I'm absolutely pumped for it and we've got plenty of content up at the moment about that With, with State of Origin a week away um, it's a bit surprising, we haven't, we haven't heard any stories about injured Queenslanders, what's, what's going on there? Look, I think I found it really fascinating. Did you see that um, the 
coaching extraordinaire and mind games uh, genius Kevin Waddles came up with the Canberra's, Canberra's own Canberra's own <laughs> we're not going to refer we're not going to answer questions about the Blues anymore it's a long way in television. it's still a full week what are you going to talk about for the next week if you can't talk about um, the other team I'll tell you what someone's going to get an injury but did you did you see his um... or a virus there's going to be a virus running through the camp um, the press conference where he's talking about the fact that it's vitally important they win game one and it's a war. Like, it 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 felt like a a sixth grader really trying to convince people. Um, it, yeah, he's 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 an interesting character. Yeah, I, I'm not a massive fan of um, explicit comparisons to war when you're talking about sport. I'm not a massive fan of that, so I didn't like that. Um, I would did see a lot of what he's done as helpful for the game in the sense that it's giving people something to talk about until they get like the the injury at training sort of thing to talk about yeah look i mean it, it happens every year I'm, I'm surprised that we haven't had haven't had one i guess there's the the um the fact that i haven't named skipper yet so we've got that to talk about On- uh, and the other one was the 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 TBA for the twenty first twenty first player and Kevy being coy on whether or not that would be Cameron Smith. Um, it would be surprising to me if Cameron Smith played. He literally wrote an article in the Players Voice about how he's not going to play Origin. That's not to say Players Voice is you know the uh, um, the website of record. Um, but it seems like a lot of effort to go to to um, write an entire article if you know in five days' time you're going to change your mind. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess we have to fill paper and somehow look, can't can't possibly focus on the games happening this weekend. Um, so we've got to make up stories, I guess. Um, Pinchitters www.pinchittersoz.com.au. We've got a great deal of content on the World Cup. Adrian Meredith has gone crazy writing articles, so please check that out. Um, we will be back through the World Cup to, to sort of, I guess, gauge how well our predictions have gone. Um, Dan, thank you for joining us today. I look forward to chatting about the World Cup as we as we go on. No worries, Boz. I look forward to it. Now, bookmark the uh, crystal ball page so I can go back and laugh at how wrong I was. Can't wait. Thanks for that. Cheers.